Get Back to Basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Welcome, wonderful to be with you this afternoon, this beautiful Wednesday afternoon here in Joburg. And yes, we are just a few days away from that awesome day of Tisha B'Av. And uh, the day of Tisha B'Av, of course, we hope and pray will bring, as it should, joy, happiness, uh, simcha, and so on. Unfortunately, if uh, Mashiach hasn't arrived by then, um, we will be commemorating Tisha B'Av on Sunday, um, just like in all the other years that have uh, preceded this one. Uh, But hopefully this will be the one that everything will change. When we come to the laws generally of mourning from a Jewish point of view, we know that all laws of mourning, in fact, um, are done because we have to, but with a reluctance. If we think about everything that has to do with a funeral, everything that has to do, God forbid, with sitting Shiva and mourning and so on, there is a certain reluctance um, in the uh, attitude, in the performance of those mitzvot. We hardly enjoy God forbid, a funeral. It, we hardly enjoy the idea of people in mourning, sitting shiva and so on. Um, and we do everything in a way of reluctance. Everything is done because we have to rather than with the same kind of passion and enthusiasm as we would do all other mitzvot. And when we think about this um, attitude, I think that I'm correct in saying that it kind of defines our approach really to this date that is coming up of Tisha B'Av and to the whole weekend that lies ahead of us, which has within it some very, very fascinating, very beautiful um, instructions, a lot of um, uh, laws and a lot of customs that pertain to this period of time, which we're going to try and talk through at least briefly um, on uh, this program today, thinking about the coming Shabbat, known as Shabbat Chazon, and the fast of Tisha B'Av, which will occur on Sunday. And let's have as the background this idea of having to do the mitzvah, but in a way of reluctance. And first and foremost, we understand that Tisha B'Av is the most obvious date, the most special date for which and on which Mashiach would come. It is the most um, obvious date on which the temple will be rebuilt. It is the most obvious date on which there will be this kind of absolute turnaround from days of sadness into days of absolute joy. This is going to be one festival that is going to be struck from the roll, so to speak, of uh, of the Jewish calendar. We're not going to commemorate Tisha B'Av in the future when Mashiach comes. Um, it is going to be taken away because there will be no longer the sadness, the mourning. There will be no longer <coughs> the reasons for the mourning, the uh, idol worship, uh, the Sinat Chinam, the hatred um, amongst people that will all be reversed and all be replaced, of course, with a time and a an environment of love, of compassion, of caring, of sharing, of nurturing, and of um, the performance of mitzvot and the learning of Torah, all the wonderful things that we hope and pray for. May they come very, very speedily in our times. Now, when we think about that kind of background of 
the uh, having to do it, but in a reluctant fashion, it kind of defines really our approach to Tisha B'Av per se. Um, I, for one, am often a little ambivalent and uh, perhaps a little uh, nervous about the fact that we kind of even uh, print Tisha B'Av as a day of mourning in the times and so on on our calendars, uh, let alone um, having uh, elaborate programs um, that are planned way in advance for this particular day. Surely it kind of runs against the grain of our belief that Mashiach is going to come and that we're not going to actually have these days to commemorate whatsoever. So what are we planning for? Well, I guess um, we are caught up in the fact that there at the moment are these mitzvot that we need to fulfill. There are these laws of Jewish law that we need to do. There is also, of course, the fact that we have to identify with the Jewish people who have suffered so hard and so long and so often on these particular days that therefore it is um, something that we have to keep, albeit with a tinge of reluctance. But at the same time, we still are getting the message that um, if the temple was not rebuilt in our time, it is as though it was destroyed in our time. And the fact that we have not merited yet to see the rebuilding of the temple, that we have not yet merited to have the coming of Mashiach, is only because at the moment we're not yet quite worthy. And we've got a couple more days uh, before Tisha B'Av to work on that and to make sure that we are worthy, that we will merit the coming of Mashiach and that we will merit to see the absolute turnaround of Tisha B'Av and the sad days turning into days of gladness, days of joy. The Shabbat before Tisha B'Av is always, you can bank it, we always read the Parsha of Devarim. We begin the last book of the Torah, believe it or not, we're already into the fifth book of the five books of Moses, starting with Parshat Dvarim, the book of Deuteronomy has begun in earnest, Parshat Dvarim, and we always read the same Haftorah. The same Haftorah is read each year on the Shabbat before Tisha B'Av, or as it is this year, technically, actually, Tisha B'Av itself, the ninth of Av, falls out on Shabbat, on this coming Shabbos. And that is the Haftorah called Chazon Yeshayahu. It is the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah's prophecy. Now, let's put aside for a moment what those prophecies actually were. Our prophets predicted destruction. They predicted times of darkness and sadness. They warned of the impending danger of our people straying and not doing exactly what they needed to do, what they should have been doing. And this is what our prophets are um, literally um, filled with these uh, messages of making sure, of trying to ensure that the people stayed on the right and the correct path and that we governed our lives in the way that the Torah would want, would want us to and therefore we would uh, live Lives that were holy, that were wholesome, that were uh, special, that were uh, beautiful and wonderful, and that we would merit um, to have the temple with us always. However, they warned of the fact that the temple would be taken away. They warned of the fact that there would be times of exile. If we're to banish ourselves from God, if we're to distance ourselves from God, God will exceed and keep that distance until such time as we merit to bring back that closeness, that awesome closeness that will be in existence when the temple is rebuilt and Mashiach is here. 
change of time, a change of space, a change of our entire environment. But in the interim, we're still in the throes of this diaspora, of this exile, and therefore these days of difficulty, these days of the nine days of sadness, of mourning, are upon us. We are in the midst of them. In fact, today is already the um, uh, the, uh, the the sixth day of uh, the month of Av, tomorrow the seventh, eighth on Friday, and the ninth Tisha B'Av, actually falling out on Shabbat. Now, uh, this Saturday night, as uh, uh, we know, begins Tisha B'Av, the Jewish nation's 9-11. Yeah, play on 9-11, being that it is the ninth uh, day of the 11th month, so to speak, if we want to take it from... Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Now it is Shabbat Chazon. Coming up on this Shabbos, as I said, we read Parsha Dvarim, and then the Haftorah is called Chazon Yeshayahu, the vision of Isaiah. When we think about the vision of Isaiah, uh, perhaps we need to look at it in a little bit of an external fashion and think first about the concept of vision. What is vision? When we talk about someone having vision, and particularly a prophet, it immediately needs to conjure up, I guess, in our minds, the concept of um, looking into the future, a prophet being able to look at something in the future. The famous uh, Reb Levi Yitzchok of Bardichev told us that on this Shabbat, each and every soul is shown a special vision. Every soul is shown the vision, whether you're going to believe it or not, whether you feel that you see it or not, a vision of the third temple. The third Beit HaMikdash. Remember that the first temple was destroyed on Tisha B'Av. The second one also destroyed on Tisha B'Av some 500 years after the first one. And since the destruction of the second temple by the Romans approximately 2,000 years ago, we have not had a temple in Jerusalem to uh, be the center of our lives, to be the center of our Judaism, to be the holy place on earth, to be God's house on earth. We haven't had that. And that being the case, this is why we are mourning on this date called Tisha B'Av. We're told that the third temple is waiting to descend. The third temple built by the Almighty, by God himself, will appear. It will descend. It will uh, erect itself. It will be there and it will be much more grand, much more elaborate, much more beautiful, much more miraculous than uh, temples number one and number two. And therefore, as we are in this reluctant sense of mourning, we are looking forward to the arrival of the third Beit HaMikdash, or the third temple. And so he says, we are shown a vision on Shabbat Chazon, on this coming Shabbat, of that third temple. Our souls are taken on a virtual tour, and they're given a deep and profound and beautiful insight into what that temple will be like, what it will feel like, what it will mean to us. And as we have that there, we're not only looking at the death, the destruction, the um, uh, horrible um, things that we've left behind in the destruction of temples one and two, but rather what we have to look forward to and how we can look forward to a time when uh, 
peace will prevail on earth, where people will be kind to one another, where love will replace that sinat chinam, that hatred that unfortunately has pervaded us all for all too long. So when we think about Shabbat Chazon, we are really tasting something very futuristic. And in fact, we're told that this is what Shabbat is all about anytime. Shabbat is called Me'ein Olam Haba. Shabbat is really a taste, a piece of, a little bit of what life will be like, like in the world to come. It is all about this futuristic experience, an experience of time where time takes on a completely different hue, an experience of um, spirituality that is completely different to any other time, any other day of the week, and any other time during the week or during the year. Shabbat has this profound Beautiful, magnificent, uh, uh, nature and, um, and, and being and essence that is all about something to do with Mashiach, something to do with the future. And it's because of that, that these mournful fasts are not permitted to be on Shabbat. There is only one fast that can be on Shabbat, and that is the fast of Yom Kippur, which is designated by the Torah. And remember that Yom Kippur is called Shabbat Shabbaton. It is the Shabbos of all Shabbases. And there we just keep Shabbos in a different way, because usually we need to make Kiddush, eat challah, and so on. On Yom Kippur, we dare not do that, but we're actually thriving and surviving on spirituality. Here we're talking about a different notion. We're talking about something mournful. First of all, it was instituted by our sages, and they could never overrule something that was designated by the Torah, so Shabbat could never be removed. But in addition to that, our sages instituted the concept of this fast, of something that is mournful. Now, mournfulness and Shabbat just don't go together. They are polar opposites. On Shabbat, one removes oneself from a sense of mourning, even if, God forbid, a person is in the week of Shiva on Shabbat. They move out of that Shiva space. They move out of that mournful space, and they become much more involved in the spirituality and the simcha, the joy of Shabbat, albeit that they have the background of difficulty, of grief, and so on, that they're dealing with at the time. And therefore, when it comes to this Shabbat, even though it is the ninth of Av, even though it is the date on which not one, but two temples were destroyed, destroyed, even though it's the date on which so many calamities throughout history happened on this particular date, going all the way back to the time that the spies returned after their first checkout, their first tour of observation um, to check out Israel and they came back and they gave that proverbial bad report they spoke ill of Israel they frightened the people the people sat that night and cried the return of the spies would coincide with this coming Friday that they came back on the 8th of Av and that night the people cried and that then became unfortunately a kind of a legacy a kind of an imprint a stain on that particular day that the 9th of Av became a day of tears, a day of sadness and a day of destruction, a day on which there was a separation between God and his people, a day on which there was this distance that was designated to be uh, between us. But all of that needs to change, and all of that needs to be altered. And we need to get our heads around the fact that on Shabbat Chazon, we're seeing an image, a view of what life will be like when Mashiach does come. 
we're seeing a view of what the temple, the third Beit HaMikdash, will be like. We're given this insider's look into what it is truly all about. And that really is the vision of Shabbat Chazon. We've got to remember that viewing something, seeing something, is far, far more tangible and far more realistic than just hearing about it. So no matter how many times we may have learned or heard about uh, the idea of the building of the temple, the fact that it is given to our souls in a visual fashion for the neshama, for the souls, whatever that may mean to you or me, is something much deeper and much more lasting, much more tangible, much more um, in, in, in instructive than just hearing all about it. And this is, in fact, what happens on this coming Shabbat. Shabbat itself, therefore, has all the trimmings and trappings of a regular Shabbat. Uh, we still light candles on Friday night. We still make Kiddush. We eat. We drink. We, in fact, are um, warned that we probably have to make sure that on this Shabbat it's not deemed as though there is any semblance of mourning. We should not wear non-leather shoes, for instance. We should make sure that we are dressed in Shabbat clothing. We must, should make sure that we eat and drink just like any other Shabbat. We shouldn't say, well, you know what? It actually should be Tisha B'Av, and therefore I'm going to stay away from eating chicken or I'm not going to have my chicken soup or whatever. We should rather be involved in Shabbat. Let's err on the, not on the side of caution, but are rather on the, um, the side of making sure that we uh, bring the simcha and the celebration of Shabbat into our lives in a much, much bigger way than perhaps we would ordinarily do because we need to go out of our way to show that there is no mourning on Shabbos, that there is no semblance of Tisha B'Av on Shabbos, except when it comes to the end of Shabbat. Now, we have a bit of a problem, and that is that, unfortunately, Jewish dates, well, unfortunately, in this case, let's put it, Jewish dates actually begin at sunset. So at sunset on Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening, we are already into Tisha B'Av. There is no formal, actual taking of the fast, per se, which is usually done on Erev Tisha B'Av, where, for instance, we sit low, we sometimes eat, and many people have the custom to eat a mourner's kind of a meal, something round, a bagel, an, an egg, um, which those who unfortunately are familiar with um, coming back after a funeral as mourners, that is what we do, sometimes even dipped in ash, we sit low and eat that, um, separated from each other, we don't make a mazuman, we don't um, have a, a unity of of our Birkat uh, Amazon, our benching together and so on. All of that is dispelled with because it, 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 is, uh, it is Shabbos. And so on Shabbat afternoon, we go into the fast at uh, whatever time you'll see on your calendar that the fast actually begins, probably round about 20 to 6, 5.40, somewhere around there um, at sunset time on uh, Shabbat afternoon. And then... For all intents and purposes, the fast has begun, but we're still in Shabbat. So until the end of Shabbat, we still wear our Shabbos clothes. Um, we're still involved in Shabbat um, atmosphere and attitudes. But as soon as night has fallen, as soon as Shabbat is out, we are actually into all the things that pertain to Tisha B'Av. Now, what do we have to do on Tisha B'Av itself, on the fast itself, which is from Saturday night through to Sunday evening, 
probably at around about, and don't quote me on these times, somewhere around 5 past 10 past 6, I guess, is going to be the end of the fast on uh, Sunday evening. There are a number of things that apply to all of the time of Tisha B'Av and some of the things that apply to part of the time. Let's go through the things that apply to all of the time. There are the main things, uh, the main um, attitudes and the main behaviors that would apply also on Yom Kippur pertaining to the way we fast and the way we interact from a uh, physical point of view. So let's talk about the fact that on this fast from 5.40 on uh, Saturday afternoon, we may, Saturday evening, we may not eat or drink anything. It's eating and drinking, and it's not just a 24-hour fast. In fact, as you'll see, it's uh, more like uh, 25 and uh, then some uh, kind of a uh, fast, or at least uh, 24 and a half. It's not uh, not exactly 24 hours. We shouldn't make that mistake as well. We begin on Shabbat not eating and drinking already and going into the duration of the time. We also may not bathe, so we may not on Saturday night or on Sunday, take a bath, a shower, a jacuzzi, go for a swim, etc. All of those things, any form of bathing and washing is forbidden. Even so much as uh, washing our entire hands, we only wash up to uh, where your knuckles are, where your fingers join your hands, unless, of course, the hand has become soiled, you're tending to a baby and so on, where uh, we would make an exception. We do not anoint. So, in other words, we do not put on any creams, ointments, perfumes, etc., um, that would make us really feel good. Um, those are not done. We also do not wear leather shoes. Now, the idea of leather applies to shoes only. You could wear a leather belt. You could wear a leather jacket. Um, you do not wear leather shoes. It pertains to shoes only. And because of that, there is a certain blessing that we do not say on Sunday morning, which also pertains to shoes and that is the blessing that says thank you god for giving me all my needs and essentially that is talking about our shoes sunday morning that blessing is omitted be back with you right after this get back to basics with judaism 101 with rabbi michael katz we are known as the people of the book we are literary connoisseurs Consumers of words and prose, sharers of ideas. In short, we are readers. Chai FM is starting a book club. Would you like to be one of the Chai FM book club readers? You'll receive a book every month to review on the radio for our listening community. It's social, it's fun, it's mentally enlightening. We're looking for people with a wide range of reading topics and genres. Get in touch, email books at chaifm.com. We're talking about the advent of Shabbat Chazon and Tisha B'Av. Tisha B'Av, of course, coming up as it does over this coming weekend, the fast being pushed off from Shabbat to Sunday. And all day Sunday, we may not eat or drink, and we may not anoint, and we may not wear leather shoes, and we may not um, uh, bathe, and so on. These are the things um, that we are not allowed to do, and that applies to all the time of Tisha B'Av, of the fast day. In addition to that, there are several other things that um, we need to be cognizant of. Number one is that as soon as Tisha B'Av comes in, in the evening, Saturday night, Saturday 
after dark, we may no longer sit on regular chairs. We need to sit lower than usual. So you need to take a cushion off the chair to sit lower than usual or sit on an overturned chair or sit on a lower bench or on a step and so on. Somewhat like when, God forbid, someone is sitting shiva. And we do that all the way through until midday on Sunday. It's not for the duration of the fast, but just until midday on Sunday. So let's say about 10 past, quarter past 12 on Sunday afternoon, we um, sit low. In addition to that, we're not allowed to learn Torah. We refrain from doing anything that is going to instill within us a sense of simcha, a sense of joy, um, and Torah learning does that for one. It's uplifting and so on. There are exceptions. There are certain things that one can study, laws of mourning, laws of sadness, laws of the destruction or the things pertaining to the destruction of the temple, the stories about it in the Talmud and so on. And, of course, there will be, as there always are, several programs that one may want to attend at your local shul. Um, in order to um, expound upon or think about or uh, be enlightened in the things that we may study for the duration of uh, Tisha B'Av. In the evening service, in the night service on Saturday night, we uh, do our regular Mayrev evening service, and that is followed by the saying of Echa. The Book of Lamentations is said, with the community sitting low, it is read out aloud in a mournful fashion. Um, there is a custom to dim the lights a little bit and create the atmosphere of um, mournfulness, of sadness, of darkness. Many people will spend some time um, um, having uh, uh, lectures or perhaps uh, watching some uh, videos that are appropriate for Tisha B'Av and so on. And um, all of that is fine. Remember, sitting low, whether you are watching the video, whether you are um, sitting in shul, whether you're davening, whether you're learning, um, we do all of that sitting lower than usual. And that all goes through until after midday on Sunday. In addition to that, we've got to remember that on Tisha B'Av, in the morning, in other words, on Sunday morning, we do not put on talis and tefillin. Our prayer shawls and our tefillin, our phylacteries, are not utilized on Tisha B'Av morning, but we rather postpone the usage of them. So we will say the regular morning service, and we postpone the usage of our talis and tefillin until the afternoon service. They are put on for mincha, the afternoon service, which <coughs> needs, of course, to be prayed, to be done a little bit earlier than usual because it is quite lengthy and because we have all the catch-ups of the things that we have to say with our tefillin on the Shema and so on. And all of that is done in the afternoon service on Sunday afternoon. Be back with you to wrap up right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. One of the things that we need to remember is that on Saturday night we usually make Havdalah. The uh, differentiation service that is done to differentiate between Shabbat and the weekday, Havdalah. As we know, we use a candle, spices, and wine for this service, for the ceremony. This cannot be done on this Saturday night because we're in the fast of Tisha B'Av, and therefore the brachas of uh, the wine and uh, the spices and so on would uh, be unbecoming. They are not correct, and we cannot make them when we cannot drink that wine and so on. And therefore they, the Havdalah service is postponed until after Tisha B'Av. It will be done 
on Sunday night. The first thing that you need to do after you've washed your hands at the end of the fast is to make Havdalah. The Havdalah is divided, though, in a way, because what we do on Saturday night is we do say the bracha, Borei Ma'orei Ha'esh, we do praise the fire that uh, was created on Saturday night. We do praise that. We are entitled, we are allowed to light fire. We are allowed to uh, drive a motor car. We are allowed to handle money and so on on Tisha B'Av after Shabbat. And therefore, um, the Borei Ma'orei Ha'esh, the fire blessing, is said. A candle should be lit, and the bracha just said, and that is all that is done for Havdalah on a Saturday, on this, on Saturday night, the, the rest of it done on Sunday night, just over a cup of wine. We don't use the spices unless it would be a Saturday night, and that is uh, then taking care of Havdalah. There is an exception, something a little bit different this year, being that the fast is a pushed-off fast, that it's actually we're fasting one day later than we usually do, as we've explained before. And that is that as soon as Tisha B'Av is over, a lot of the stringencies of the nine days fall away, which is unusual. Usually they last until midday of the day following Tisha B'Av. A lot of them fall away. The only thing that it is customary still to keep up is that on uh, Sunday evening, we still do not eat meat or chicken or drink wine with the exception of the making of Havdalah, where most would permit the drinking of that wine. Um, uh, some would still give it to a child, but um, one is permitted to drink that wine um, on uh, on Sunday night just because it's part of the Havdalah, but we do not otherwise drink wine, we do not otherwise eat meat on Sunday evening. We can, certainly from breakfast time already on uh, on Monday morning, we can uh, already be involved in eating meat and drinking wine and doing all of the things that we were not permitted to do for the duration of the nine days. So once again, it's with a sense of reluctance that we actually keep this fast, but a sense of purpose and a sense of understanding that it's all a forerunner to really what is coming soon, the coming of Mashiach, the rebuilding of the temple. Shabbat Chazon, we have that image. Please, God, it will be an image that will stay with us, that will be there, and not just in a sense of an image for our souls, but for each and every one of us to behold in the most beautiful fashion possible. And hopefully we will really have a great and uplifting Tisha B'Av over this coming weekend. I want to wish you all a great week, rest of the week up ahead, a great Shabbat, and as I said, a equally great Tisha B'Av, which hopefully will be very different to all the ones that we've had in the past. Take care and we'll see you again next week.